Hi, this is Kutsianaki, and welcome to season three of Down to the Struts. Today, we'll listen in on my conversation with Alice Wong. Alice is a disabled activist, media maker, and consultant based in San Francisco. She is the founder of the Disability Visibility Project. This interview is very special to me as Alice was the first person I reached out to for advice when I was creating Down to the Struts. I was touched by her generosity and felt instantly welcomed into the community of disabled podcasters that she quickly introduced me to. Alice and I talked about her journey into disability activism, her thoughts about representations of disabled people in media and culture, and the new adventures she's embarking upon beyond the Disability Visibility Project. It was a joy to record this interview, and it is an even greater delight to share it with you all as the kickoff to our third season. And now, in the words of Alice Wong, and away we go. Alice, it is an honor and a, just an absolute pleasure to have you and talk to you. And I'm, I'm really excited for this conversation. So thank you so much for, for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. And it's always a delight to be on other people's podcasts. And it's just thrilling to see for disabled people podcasting. So this is just, you know, the best of both worlds. You know, I, you know, know and love your work very much, um, but I would like for the listeners to to get to know you a little bit. So could you share a little bit about your background and what led you to your work in, in journalism and disability activism? Yeah, I think it was kind of a roundabout journey. It wasn't anything that I Planned as a young person, uh, I went away to grad school to UC San Francisco in the late 90s. And uh, originally, I was going to be a sociologist, I was going to be teaching and doing research, and then it didn't work out. Then I started being a staff research associate at UC San Francisco for over 10 years, uh, doing a lot of qualitative research. Uh, about disabled people and uh, you know that was really wonderful and it gave me this great kind of built uh, foundation and then uh, later on in 2014 I created the Disability Visibility Project which is an online community that's dedicated to creating sharing and amplify disability media culture. And, you know, since then, it's been just basically a one-person operation where I have a podcast, I have blog posts, you know, I, I splash around on Twitter, getting into all kinds of mischief, and mm -hmm. uh, mostly I also collaborate with other disabled folks in different projects. So. Uh, that's what I do in a nutshell, and, you know, uh, because we're talking about podcasts, and we're getting very bad at because we're in a podcast right now, you know, I just want to say that my podcast uh, just ended this past April with its 100th episode, so it started in 2017, it was such a joy to launch, and, uh, 
you know, since since 2017, it's just been really exciting to see so many people get into it. And there were people way before me, but it's also just, I think now in 2021, it's, it's wonderful seeing you, seeing all kinds of folks being out there and podcasting and just, uh, you know, being involved in all kinds of videos. And I think that's, that's what we need more of every day. Yeah, and I I strongly encourage everyone to check out Alice's podcast, the Disability Visibility Podcast. I've referenced it many times on on this podcast, and so have many of my guests. So um, do check it out. It's worth many, many listens, and now you have a cache of 100 episodes. So um, everyone should just get caught up. So when you entered this space and you started becoming, you know, a disabled creative, you know, for, for lack of a better term, you know, what were your observations about representations of disabled people in media and culture when you were kind of starting up this work? Like what was kind of the status quo at that time? You know, I would say that you know, I'm in my late forties and I would say that, you know, for much of my young life, you know, I really did not encounter that much kind of media and culture, you know, by us and for us. And it wasn't until I was an undergraduate where I started to first read and learn about disability studies and also disability history. So I'm just like, oh my goodness, there are disabled people like all over the world doing amazing things. Why did it take me so long to discover this? And I really, you know, came into community very late. And I think, you know, part of that has been my own kind of internalized ableism and just, you know, not being comfortable because I pretty much grew up like, with most instances in school, like as, the only wheelchair user kid, the wheelchair user kid in my classes, you know, and it's just, you know, I was so used to being the only one. It, you know, I definitely felt more uncomfortable. I felt uncomfortable when I was with other kids with disabilities, and I really had to really, really unlearn that. And that takes time. You know, it takes a lot of time to kind of unpack and kind of identify, you know, these kinds of feelings and, you know, I think becoming more politicized, you know, that's really what helped me with my, you know, evolving identity, you know, as a disabled person. I just really identify with all of that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I didn't have a word for what I was feeling, which is the word ableism. You know, until much later, and I think that's why words and, you know, visibility really is helpful because I didn't have those typos. I didn't have a vocabulary that really helped me express what I was experiencing because, you know, this is what ableism and other forms of systemic oppression does. It it makes you feel like you're the only one going through it. And, you know, you don't realize, oh my goodness, this is, 
not because of me as an individual, but it's about our culture. It's about our systems that create these uh, conditions. And I think that was very politicizing for me. That it wasn't my fault. And, uh, you know, these are ways that systems and institutions take away our power, right? Like they are keeping the power for themselves. And that's what really, uh, you know, was a big leap in terms of just my understanding of where I am in society, also where I want to be, and also just by kind of understanding power dynamics and about what are the things that I could do to create change. And I think you asked me earlier about my career in journalism. You know, that's when I started writing, you know, opinion pieces. I tried to get published in various publications because, you know, I want to link policies and politics with my everyday life. And I feel like that's, you know, a really wonderful way with it. The form of an essay or the form of an op-ed to really uh, make a point. And I don't think there's enough out there about disability that is, you know, centered that way. You know, so much of what we see in news and media is, you know, often told by journalists who are not disabled. You know, they may interview a few disabled folks, but there's still also a heavy prevalence of parents speaking on behalf of disabled people or advocates, you know, working, you know, representing disabled people versus working with disabled people, which is a huge difference, but, you know, I think most non-disabled people don't you know, don't really understand the nuances. So I do want to see improvements and advancements, you know, everywhere, but especially in publishing and journalism, because so much of, I think, what we are exposed to in terms of what we consider news, so much of, I think, uh, our additional understandings of the issues of our day are, you know, created by journalists and media. So I wanted to be, you know, a part of that kind of world in my own way. And that's why I did podcasting as well, because, you know, I think so much of radio and other kind of news organizations is very, you know, it's not easy to break into, right? Like there's a lot of gatekeeping, you have to be like all these, you know, professional qualifications, but I think not only social media, but podcasting has really opened up spaces for all kinds of people to create and report and really use this media. And I think that's really exciting. Yeah. And speaking about, you know, trying to publish and write op-eds, I recently was rereading 
a piece that you wrote for Eater a couple of years ago about plastic straw bands. And for people who are interested in sustainability and protecting the environment, it seems like a no-brainer. Plastic straws equal bad. And you provided so much insight into that issue from this perspective that most people don't hear and brought nuance to it. You can support protecting the environment and sustainability, but you also have to understand the knock-on effects of that for groups of people who are otherwise marginalized. And it was, it was, it was something as basic concept as like plastic straws, but you, you lent it some real dimension and complexity and forced people to look at the issue in a different way. Yeah, I tried. And I think it's, you know, hopefully people realize that I'm not even trying to represent like all disabled people because clearly just as I am an Asian American, uh, you know, we are not a monolith. And I think this is just one story out of like so many different disabled perspectives. Like there are, you know, people who have other reasons why they need plastic straws. And, you know, there's just needs to be more space for that. And I think that's really important because most, you know, media makers or news uh, journalists I mean, news outlets do not realize the real complexities and diversity of the disability experience. And they tend to like really want to flatten it and thinking about people with physical disabilities or like sensory disabilities, but there's just such a universe out there. And a lot of us do not agree with each other, which is great. A lot of us have conflicting access needs. A lot of people have dissenting opinions. I mean, that's really important. And I think that's, uh, if we're getting back to like journalism, you know, there is more of a movement towards, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and looking at the ways, you know, journalism truly, you know, does that serve underrepresented groups. And, you know, there's a reason why, right? Like that the profession itself is not diverse. The profession itself is not from these communities. And, you know, we saw that clearly, you know, during the massacre of Asian people in Atlanta, right? The huge, maybe inadequacies of some of the major news outlets, right? Like they just didn't know how to pronounce uh, Korean names. They didn't have connections to the Korean community mm-hmm. in the Atlanta area, right? I think, you know, there's so much work that could be done to make everything in terms of representation, in terms of accurate reporting better. And I think that the one way to do that is, you know, these kind of op-eds, but also, you know, systemically, there needs to be editors, there need to be kind of full-time staff people, uh, there need to be columnists, like disabled people who are columnists at, you know, the New York Times, for example, like just, you know, giving people a platform I think that's important, even though I think 
Do you know, I'm not waiting around. Do you know, I have my own platform. I built it for over like seven years, but I think these aren't mutually exclusive, right? Like we want both. And we deserve both. And I think we need, uh, we deserve so much more and we're not getting it yet. Which is why I'm delighted you're doing what you're doing. Thank you. And to that end, I'm, I'm really interested. So as you said, you built this platform yourself. And could you share a little bit about your creative process, how you thought about each podcast episode and then the body of podcasts as a whole, and then the anthology and just sort of putting all those, the blog, putting all those pieces together, like kind of how did you conceive of the work in its individual components, but also as a whole? Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, some of the guiding principles that's worked for me, again, this is just speaking for myself, you know, I try to think about what do I want to do with my time that really, you know, is valuable to me and also to others. I think about what's busy. I think about who is busy. Because who and what is busy is also very important. I think about what interests me, you know, like, what am I curious about? What do I, you know, really want to dive into? You know, this is like the, the dirty aspect, right? Like, what do I feel incredibly passionate about that I want to explore more? I also think about, like, what are things that are, you know, hard work, but also fun, you know, I think we have, you know, in terms of the creative process, you know, I want to do things that are fun and pleasurable. And I think sometimes we forget as creatives that, well, it can feel like torture sometimes. <laughs> the creative process should also be fun. And I think we have a lot more ways to build that in, you know, it, 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 throughout the entire process, then we realize, you know, it doesn't have to be something that is monumentally difficult or overwhelming. And I think giving myself permission to slow down or take a break or maybe just create projects where, you know, it's not that daunting, you know, I could do things that are short-term, I could work on things that are longer-term, because I do think that good, good things, whether it's a guest essay that I'm editing, whether it's a podcast episode, um, you know, good things take time, and I think one of the biggest things that I've I have to kind of continually remind myself, and I'm curious about your own process too, is, you know, the deeds and thoughts feel like you have to keep up, or the feeling of having to have something out there as soon as possible, because it's just tough, and 
But let's say there's an issue that's suddenly uh, hot. I don't feel the, I try to get a resist the notion or the pressure to, to have something about that immediately. So for me, you know, I really want to be intentional with everything that I do. And also I have faith that let's say it might not be like in the moment, but it's still good. And, uh, you know, that it'll eventually find an audience. I think the most important thing is, do I enjoy it? Do I feel proud of it? And once I put it out there, the public, you know, if I feel good about it, that's really what matters the most. And that by it being out there, I have to have faith that, you know, it'll be useful or just, it'll go places where I will realize there might be ripple effects, but you release it out there and, you know, it has a life of its own now. And that's really good. I think that's, that's where the satisfaction is. So those are things that help me kind of figure out my next steps in terms of all those things that I mentioned, but also wanting to try new things. And I think, you know, I started the DVP in 2014, and, you know, around 2016, I, I knew I wanted to do a podcast because, you know, podcasts are becoming more trendy. <laughs> but I really waited. I just, you know, I wanted to understand that that's a bolt of it. I wanted to budget for the, you know, transcriptions and just, you know, pay uh, to audio producers because I knew I would need more help in terms of editing. And just, you know, making the, the workload, the workflow in a way that works for me. You know, and I think that's, that's important, you know, with your creative, that it doesn't have to be work 24-7. You know, that we should, you know, create space to do rest and to keep it sustainable. So I was very mindful of that in terms of conceptualizing it, planning it out, it really talking to people that I want to talk to. Like, this is a, so that also took preparation in terms of who are the people that interest me. And I had a spreadsheet. For the years, about your, your, uh, your process too, but I had a spreadsheet with like, you know, your proposed episodes. <laughs> Sometimes the topics come first and then I'll find the right person. Sometimes it's people that I want to talk to. And then I figure out, oh, like, this is what they're passionate about. Maybe the episode will be about this, you know. So sometimes it's just to be observant and also engaging with people. I just let it kind of get a sense of who I am. 
And there you go. And I do them a little better. And then when I invite them on the podcast, we already have, you know, a rapport. And I think that also helps too, even though I have, you know, interviewed folks that I've never, you know, engaged with before. And those are always, those are always kind of the fun and scary aspects too, because you have no idea what's going to happen in that hour, you know? And I think that's another aspect too, is to keep kind of doing things that we want to, you know, there's that element of risk, you know, there's an element of adventure. And there's also an element of like, experimentation and just learning new things. I think that's what's, you know, been a very kind of gradual thing with my, with my work, you know, as, it, as with the Disability Visibility Project is that, you know, all of it was like baby steps, you know, like that I, the podcast that I self-published in anthology in 2018, because I really wanted to, to really have a response centered on disabled people in response to the Trump administration. You know, it started like the initial idea started election nights in 2016, and the anthology, which just came out in 2018. So, yes, that took a while. But it's a beautiful, small anthology of essays about the relationship between resistance and hope. And there really was for us in speaking toward this particular time. And, you know, these days also taught me a lot of editing skills and be a publisher. And this also led me to Having this, you know, new anthology published by a major publisher. So that's, you know, things that I never anticipated, but these were all things that looking back were essential, you know, stepping stones. So it's been pretty amazing so far, but also just uh, such a privilege, such a real delight, and I just feel so much gratitude to to be able to do what I do and to be uh, in partnership and in community with so many people. That to me is the greatest gift. I'm so grateful to you for sharing all that and there's so much of that that resonated with me and and my own process and my own thinking around around doing the podcasting work and I personally love the anthology and I'm so excited for the next one you know I think it, your your journey is a testament to this idea of if you just follow what brings you joy and brings you passion it leads places, even though it doesn't seem to at first, it takes time and a lot of heart and energy. And I think um, your story is such a testament to that. And so now, you know, you're here, you've 
published your first work, you're on to the next, and you've completed 100 episodes of your podcast. And so what's the next frontier for you, Alice? Oh, thank you for asking. Uh, so it's really funny how, uh, you know, as I mentioned, like these things kind of just organically kind of grow and you know, build and become even better over time. So, you know, after my anthology of disability, visibility, first-person stories of the 21st century came out last year, I, you know, quickly kind of thought, okay, uh, what should be my follow-up? And, you know, even before that book came out, it's last summer, you know, I was kind of, you know, just going through my head in terms of, okay, you know, if this is my last kind of opportunity to publish with a major publisher, what can I do to really, you know, build out the momentum, you know, like, um, should I submit another book proposal? And I thought, like, okay, if I do, I want it to be different. Um, you know, other folks mentioned, oh, I want, you know, are you going to do a part two of the anthology? And I thought about that, and I thought, you know what, maybe this is the right time to look back at my work and maybe tell my story. So uh, I am truly working on my memoir, and it's going to be a memoir, and was of new essays, and it's also a collection of my collected works. So this has been when I did the proposal last year for this new book. I collected all these things again, spreadsheets, but I created a spreadsheet with all of my past work that's published. And I was like, oh, damn, like there's, there's a lot. There's, and I was really kind of amazed by that. And I thought, okay, this, you know, this is a good time to take it to be and to center myself and uh, to be okay about that, you know? I think I've, I'm so curious about you. Uh, you know, I feel comfortable. Uh, I think being the interviewer, it just, letting the guests shine. This is why I do try to push it myself, you know, to, to do something different and something that, might, that feels a little uncomfortable, but also feels right at the same time. So this entire year, I've been working on my memoir, which is called Year of the Tiger, which will be out next year. 2022, which is the actual year of the tiger. So I'm turning 48 next year. And as a Chinese American, this is like, yeah, by year, in terms of the Lunar New Year. And it's going to be really exciting. And I think the title came to me first. And I'm like, okay, this is meant to be because, you know, I was looking at the calendar thinking about what I want to do in the future. And I realized that, wow, like I, 
I'm so lucky to be alive, especially since the pandemic. I just, you know, feel so, you know, it's been so rough for so many of us. And just all of that kind of fed into this is my time. And, you know, I'm going to claim it and not apologize for that. And I think. The pandemic is definitely a factor in that, you know, feeling so unsafe and vulnerable and still be able to hopefully come out of it and come out of it still telling my story in different ways. That to me, I think, is culminated in wanting to I have a book that looks back, but also looks forward. It is an opportunity right now as I'm writing this. This book, uh, it's a real time of reflection. And I think this has been just such a luxury to be able to, to do this. And I'm just super excited about it. And that to me has been such a wonderful new use of my time and energy to really dive into this this year. So this year and next year will just be all about the memoir and just getting the memoir out there. But also, I'm going to use the memoir as really a way to centered Asian and Pacific American, uh, Asian Americans and API folks with disabilities as well. So like there's, you know, there's also multiple ways to kind of leverage the book to also create community. So that's going to be part of my plans for 2022. That is so exciting, Alice. Congratulations. I'm so excited for you. I can't wait to read it. <laughs> um, I will be pre-ordering as soon as I can <laughs> and uh, sharing it on my networks as well and encouraging people to read it. And I am so excited. I'm so happy that you're doing this and I can imagine the discomfort of it. I, I identify with that, but um, if anyone can do it and do it beautifully, it's you. So I, I'm so delighted to hear that. And I had one more question and then I promised you that you could ask me some questions. So we'll turn the tables a little bit, but I, I want to ask, and I think you've answered this in some ways in the course of this conversation, but what do you hope to see both in terms of the representations of disabled people in media and culture and the actual, you know, work of disabled creators, you know, what is your, what is your vision? What do you hope to see in the future now that you've blazed this trail along with others? You know, I would just like to see, uh, you know, you know, flip the question because I think, <laughs> you know, you're going to have listeners who are not disabled folks and who are allies or people who want to be allies, I'm sure you get asked this a lot by people uh, just to encounter your podcast. But I think I would like to see non-disabled people really support our work. 
as disabled creators, artists, writers, you know, whatever. Because I think, uh, you know, creation, you know, is a lot of work. And I think there's not enough avenues to invest and support and to be honest, pay people for their work. And I would like to see more kind of people just either institutions, foundations, companies, nonprofits, to really think about that, you know? What are some ways to support the work of disabled people in your local community or that are, you know, working on in the same areas? that you are looking at if you have budgets for speakers or staff or consultants, think about where you want to put your money and resources. So while I think I mentioned earlier, I want to see more of us everywhere. I would also say that there's also, to make that happen requires those who are in decision-making positions to put a priority on us. And I don't think that's happening to the degree that's even close to parity, right? Like there's just, you know, pretty much in almost every field, there's not enough disabled people, and in particular, disabled people of color. So let's just put that out there. And I want to also say that disabled people of color are not unicorns. We do exist. You and I exist. We're out there. We're alive. We're not your tokens. But we should be supported because of all of the brilliance and skills and you know, expertise that we have. So I want to see more support, very tangible, material support for disabled creators. So I think that would be my response and my revision of your question, if you don't mind. And I think that's the message, hopefully, that you know, your listeners will take to heart. And I think that's you know, one of the first things people should look at is their bookshelves. You know, like, look at your bookshelf. And ask yourself, how many of these books are written by disabled people? And if you have zero books by disabled people, why is that? So, you know, just think about that. That might be just one way to get started. And, you know, you see, I was wondering about you, you know, since we're both podcasters, why podcasting for you? In terms of this medium and this real labor of love, because I think a lot of people don't understand, like, it's not just something you just throw together, right? That there's, it is a labor of love. So I want to hear your origin story and also just what you see is your future with this podcast. Like, where do you want to go with this podcast? to the moon. <laughs> yes, exactly. To the moon, to the stars. That's a good question. And I guess I, you know, I've shared 
uh, my sort of personal story in one way or another on this podcast and outside of it. I was very, very honored to be a guest on Thomas Reed's uh, Read My Mind Radio recently. Um, so if you want my life story, there you have it. Um, but I think for me, I am a person who always felt like they belonged nowhere. And that and that stems from a lot of different things. So from being not totally blind, spending part of my life really identifying with being sighted, but then losing a lot of vision over time. So like kind of not really being blind, not really being sighted, being Indian, but Muslim, which really confuses people. And also being a non sort of non-practicing Muslim, but wanting to identify with Muslim culture in some ways and some ways not. And just there's so many ways in which I I never felt like I fit into any box. And in moving to DC, and that was the first time, like you, Alice, I really came into my disability identity a lot later in life. And I, you know, moved to DC and that's the first time I ever had a blind friend. And that friend really transformed my life in a lot of ways. And I, I really, I really felt at home in this community because no one is in a box, as you were saying so clearly, you know, we are diverse, we are vast, we come from all sorts of experiences and walks of life. And, you know, we're blind, we're deaf, we're this, we're that, we're Asian, we're black, we're white, you know, and I just really felt at home in this place where everyone is sort of other in their own way, but we are unified in a lot of ways. And so I really found myself in this community. And as the pandemic settled in and we all were at home, I, I thought about, you know, how can I contribute to this amazing community that has given me so much over the last few years? And I've always, I gravitated really quick to the podcast world because as a blind person, it felt so equalizing in a certain sense because, you know, with film and visual things, especially when audio description is not ubiquitous and it, it's getting better, but it's it's still not quite there yet. You know, I felt a divide between myself and other people who experienced uh, visual forms of art and cinema, et cetera. And podcasting felt so sort of equalizing for me because I thought, you know, I'm listening to this, a sighted person's listening to this. We're having the same experience because we're both listening to it. Um, and I just, I felt like it was, it was access. It felt like access for me to, to so many things like the news, to art, to storytelling. And I really enjoyed just losing myself in, in other people's stories. And so I thought, you know, I want to contribute to my disability community. I want to add something of value and I love this medium. So, I mean, it felt podcasting felt like sort of a no brainer to me in that respect. So that's kind of what led me, led me to do this. Yeah. And I'll never forget, uh, you know, for your listeners, uh, you know, I got an email from you <laughs> as you were trying to begin to start out your podcast. And it was such a nice, like, you know, I was just so delighted to hear, like, you know, hear from you, like we didn't know each other. And this is what community is. And the fact that, you know, there's such a generosity out there. I mean, of course there are trashy garbage space but uh <laughs> with every community but there's also a real generosity of spirits 
And I think the relationships have really, within the disability community, have also deepened my understanding. But also, I would say, have saved my life. You know, not just, I'm not saying that like dramatically. I do think that the relationships that we make and that we sustain has really kept us going. And I think that's been ever more true since this pandemic where we've been kind of unable to be together in person. And yeah, we really know like with the you know the chips are down, you know who your friends are, you know who you can count on. And I feel like that's been a real like this very small silver lighting. But I do think that a a speech community as Disabled podcasters is really cool. And, you know, you were just like so really just sweet. And <laughs> I try to like refer, I refer to you like, was it about me a podcaster? You're still great. Another fantastic podcaster and just a filmmaker, activist all around, just a lovely, lovely human being because. You know, she helped me to kind of to get my bearings in terms of podcasting. I guess, you know, I was really unfamiliar with things. I, I didn't want to mess up. And I just, um, you know, just did some like pointers. And she was, you know, more than trying to be. So, like, what was your experience in terms of just learning the ropes and, um, you know, learning, you know, be on Thomas's podcast and just to be part of this community of podcasters. Yeah. And I just have to say, so I, you know, I had to put on my brave hat and I just sent you an email. And I remember thinking, I'm emailing this really famous person, there's no way they're going to respond. I mean, they have better things to do than respond to me, but I'm always of the, of the opinion that, you know, you just gotta, you just gotta shoot your shot. Um, as my social media manager likes to say, and you might not hit the mark, but it's worth a shot. So I emailed you and I was just floored by your generosity in responding to me within 24 hours, might I add, and you were so kind and you were so warm and honest. And, you know, you were in the middle of your book tour, if I, if I remember correctly, and you were super busy I and mean, you're like, I'm in the middle of a book tour right now, but please talk to my friend, Cheryl Green. And Cheryl was, as you just described, phenomenally generous with her time, with her advice. I remember sending her my first audio recording because she she said please send it to me I'm happy to you know I do a lot of voice work and I sent it to her and she was just like you might want to not swallow in the middle of your sentence <laughs> and she's like you know you can take a breath you might want to breathe a little and you can edit that out and I was like oh that's true I can do that you know she was just so generous and helpful and she also helped me understand how to do a good transcript which was something I know is really important to you. And it was ex extremely important to me. I, I felt that 
my podcast was worthless if I didn't make it accessible to everyone in every mode possible. So I was really grateful to her to, for teaching me about transcripts and, and I'm still perfecting the art, but you know, that was a really valuable learning experience for me. And I also remember I was working with, I had recruited a student from my, from my alma mater from Barnard College um, who was working with me and she connected me with an, another Asian American podcaster who was doing like a training and who generously allowed me to join this little group. And I learned a lot about how to build your website, how to have a hosting site, how to connect to the um, podcasting applications, how to do your social media. So I learned a lot from that and it was all just very new territory. And then of course I had my, my two uh, team members, Alana and Avery, who, you know, Alana, is the audio producer and, and Avery runs uh, all of our social media and website management. And I, I really thrive in working in a team and I was so grateful to have the two of them as thought partners. And I think every everything about my podcast has been better because there's been more than just my brain um, creating and generating ideas. And I And to your point about more money being put into this work, you know, those two people who I work with and I know you had a team as well, you know, I want to be able to compensate them. Right now, I've been doing this project completely on my own steam, and it's against my values to have creative people putting their creative effort and, and work into something without being compensated, because that work is of great value to me and to just the world. And so I, I totally second your motion about more investment in our work. And I, and I hope that by putting work out there and seeking support, you know, we can move that forward a bit further. Absolutely, and I think that, you know, a labor of love doesn't come cheap. There's, you know, most people think, oh, it's a labor of love. You're doing this for the community. That doesn't mean that it shouldn't be compensated, right? Like, uh, there are reasons why we want to do this, but it's also people need to eat, people need to sleep, people need to, they need to and, uh, you know, to do a podcast with the kind of care and thoughtful design and access, it does require a lot. And, you know, there's other ways that, um, you know, later on, if you do some sort of Patreon or just some sort of like tip jar, or if you have a PayPal account, let me know. And I will blast it on social media <laughs> and everybody to support you because, you know, this is sometimes what we have to do with their art formal mechanisms in place, with their art formal kind of avenues of support. So, you know, again, crowdfunding is kind of a sad commentary. Uh, capitalism, with the fact that people are crowdfunding their healthcare, people are crowdfunding their work, but it is, you know, one avenue, one option. So whatever you end up doing, just uh, keep me posted because I want to support you. I want to support all the future disabled podcasters and media makers out there. Love up. Uh, you know, so many of us who really do amplify each other, like Cheryl Dreese's work, but also clearly our 
targeted at six degrees of separation. I mean, Thomas Reed, he's somebody I had on my podcast. He is just another wonderful, wonderful person that is doing amazing work that deserves your audience and also just deserves all the flowers. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I completely agree. I will keep you posted about everything regardless. So expect to hear from me. Um, this has been such a delight, Alice. I cannot thank you enough. I'm, I'm very starstruck. <laughs> thank you so much for, for being on the show. Thank you for having me. And it's just it's such a lovely time talking with you. I just getting to know you better. And this is just a beginning. Thanks for listening to this new episode of Down to the Struts. Over the next 10 weeks, we'll be back in your feeds with five new episodes that explore disability, design, and intersectionality. Remember that you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you love to listen. Subscriptions help to amplify our work, and we always love to read reviews from our listeners, so be sure to leave one. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Down to the Struts and join our Facebook group, Down to the Struts Podcast, for exclusive content and the chance to become a part of our growing community. Finally, this season, we have an important ask. This podcast has been a labor of love, but it has not been a labor without cost. From the audio equipment, to the website, to the incredible team that makes this all possible. This work requires investment in the valuable talents of some amazing humans. You can help support this work and become an engaged member of our community by visiting www.patreon.com slash down to the struts. We'll include a link in our show notes. Your support will give you access to some cool benefits. And most importantly, you'll be investing in the amplification of disabled voices. And if you're not able to contribute right now, that's okay too. Listening to the show and sharing it with friends is so important and we are so grateful for your support. Looking forward to getting back with you in episode two so we can get back down to it.